Ariel, I've been doing some thinking. I, I love it. I love that for you. You and I, we can't stay stuck in the past. We've got to look to the future. And the future is bright. It, it, it is? Team Spirit, as far as the eye can see. I, I love it. I love when you do uh, the, the thinking, the thinking, coach. My match against Gigi Gianni tonight, I'm gonna make a statement. And then after I win, you and I are gonna make another statement. A literal one. You know, when we all have our 15 minutes of fame, and I'd like to take a couple of my 15 minutes to talk about the rights and the wrongs in the world of professional wrestling. And for the WWE Championship. This match is for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship! Welcome to another edition of the Rights and Wrongs Processing Podcast. This is your host, Mr. Green, and we are going into, wow, episode 206 for their second season. If you're looking for it on their YouTube channel, it's going to be episode 58, because they still remain in chronological, what was I even trying to say? Chronological. (laughs) They stay in chronological order. On their YouTube channel. Good grief. I just got extremely tongue-tied right there. Um, We're going to go through the entirety of that episode. But also, I have gotten the ratings for WoW for the last two months. We're in October right now as I am recording this. And I got the ratings for August in September, sent to me. Now, these ratings are compiled by WrestleNomics. So, we want to give credit to WrestleNomics for providing that. And they do a fantastic job. I'm sure you've heard of WrestleNomics, and I'm sure that you've heard uh, other podcasts get their ratings AEW, WWE. I mean, they, they do a phenomenal job of that. And, and we all. Anybody that's getting this from WrestleNomics, we all give credit to that uh, site and Brandon Thurston who compiles all this. So uh, thank you to WrestleNomics. If you haven't checked them out, you may want to check them out. Uh, <clears throat> they, they do podcasts as well. If you are interested in uh, hearing more about WWE, NXT, AEW, Impact, so on and so forth. Which is why we know that while believe it or not in a lot of cases outdraws impact wrestling although there is news about impact wrestling that we will have to you know address at some other point down the line in this this episode because it's not just wow i know it's constantly wow when we're talking about it but it's wrestling news <clears throat> excuse me so but I've explained this. Other people explained it, and I'm going to do it again for those who um, haven't heard that explanation as to why WoW is kind of positioned in a a higher viewership than Impact. Um, And 
you you want to give credit to WoW for their viewership that they have, and they have some good viewership numbers here on occasion. Not all of them, but some. But they also exist in syndication for broadcast TV. And I said several, several, several months ago on the podcast that, you know, a lot of that reason, especially when you are working with and dealing with television, is that you're talking about accessibility. WOW is accessible to the vast majority of the television market. Whether you watch TV regularly or not is irrelevant in this case. They are uh, accessible to you. All you would need to do is find the station and the time. For the most part, I think they have covered most of the markets in the country. Now, of course, there's going to be some you know cities that are offshoots. Like you're in, you're in Georgia, you may not be able to get Wow if you are outside of Atlanta. If you're further, say, Savannah, Georgia, or somewhere further south, you may not see it at all. I am only aware of it being aired here on WUPA, which was formerly a CW network, but it is now an independent. But they still air WOW, and if you're within their broadcast range, fine, you have it. If you're not, you're further up from, say, where AJ Styles is from. He's from Gainesville, Georgia, which is further north. You might not be able to see it. I some people have heard me talk about when I'm at work. I don't work the uh, local stations to me. I work stations that are further up north, which is why I'm so aware of their air times. You're in Pittsburgh. You may not see it. You're in Philly. Yeah, you 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 got it. You, you can see that. I mean, I, I shouldn't say it yet because they have it in Pittsburgh too. But if you're outside of those ranges. For whatever broadcast range that they have, you may not see that. But the point being is that they exist on a platform that whether you pay for a service or not, you can get. All you need is a TV and an antenna, and you're pretty well done. That is it. That's all that it requires. With Impact, it is not an apples-to-apples comparison. For you to see them outside of watching clips on YouTube or outside of uh, subscribing to their service, you need to have Access TV. Now, is, is it good that they have Access TV? Of course it is. But Access TV also does not have the same reach as just standard broadcast. You're going to get that. You have to be able to be on a cable company that even has it first off before you pay for it so yes do they get higher ratings absolutely but you have to look at the entire scope of why they get the higher ratings so let's go and since we're already on the topic of ratings and i've introduced where i got it from and we talked about how high or low it may be what i've done is, uh, as I said, I've gotten these ratings from Russell Knox, but I've also added on a couple of notes. What was the main event, the particular episode that 
we're talking about. To see if there's any sort of pattern here. See if there's anything that we can look at as to, okay, this is working, that's not, and so on and so forth. But honestly, I, I don't see a real pattern when we are looking at these episodes week by week. And we're going to start off with the first, uh, re- not review, but first ratings that we have on the list. That's August 6th, episode 47. They titled it, Leaving It All in the Ring. Now, it should also be noted that a lot of these episodes are taped. And I, anybody that listens to this knows that for you know already. <clears throat> but for those of you that don't know, these episodes are taped months in advance. This particular episode was taped on April 29th, but it aired in August. You see what I mean there? There's, there these are tapes months in advance. The main event for this, well, you know what? Let's, let's start in, re- in reverse. The ratings represent the 18 to 49 demo. And the rating comes up to 0.05. That equates to about 240,000 viewers as far as the ratings are concerned. Now, just remember, ratings are an average of how many people are assumed to have watched it based on the Nielsen reports. Now, that, of course, they can't go down the line of every single TV that has it on, but this is how advertisers kind of judge what they're going to do and what they don't. Nielsen, I mean, it, it still works for them. Uh, this is also noted by Russell Nomics as the lowest total viewership since March uh, 19th. The lowest being 238,000 viewers. So they are 2,000 viewers higher than their lowest since that time. Not the lowest overall, but the lowest since March. So they had been on an uptick. Um, they, I would assume that they have dropped down. If this is the lowest since that point, so they've had to go on over this. The main event for this show was the Tonga Twins versus Last Call in the number one contenders match for the Wild Tag Team Championship. Last Call being Reina Del Rey and Wrecking Ball. Um, I really haven't seen anything here that would make me feel like, okay, the, why is this down? I mean, we could go and trace back to the previous week when they advertised it. And the main event for the previous week was Miami Sweet Heat, Carl's, the, the Carlson sisters, Laurie and Lindsay, taking on Team Spirit, the former tag team champions, and, and uh, winning the tag team championships. I'm sorry, they're they not winning, but they defended and defended and defeated the Team Spirit for the tag team, you know, to retain the tag team championships. It could have been a case of that was not a big enough thing to get people to come back. Like, it wasn't a big enough sell that's possible. But also have to add in that this is summer, you know, August 6th was SummerSlam weekend. And they might have lost viewers just, just based on that, which is the same thing I said that, you know, if Collision is on AEW television, it could potentially eat into their market. I doubt that now, since they've had the problems that they've had, 
I think losing CM Punk might have cost you know some viewership just in that show in general, but that's a whole different you know ball of wax, and we won't bother with that. August thirteenth, the following week, they jump up in viewers to a rating of zero point ten, twice the amount. This equates to three hundred and fifty-seven thousand viewers, as according to WrestleNomics. The main event, Princess Ozzy taking on Vicky Lynn McCoy. This is to determine the number one contender for the Wild Championship. So, could it have been a case of a strong WWE weekend eating into the entire wrestling scope and causing their viewership to bottom out, for lack of a better term, and then it trekking back up when there is no pay-per-view or major function in wrestling competing against it. And perhaps there was, you know, interest in seeing if Princess Ozzy's going to win. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to trek. Now, one thing I haven't seen with them is that they haven't done the quarter by quarter because, you know, it's an hour show and they probably they may not even have that. But the results they hear are clear. They gained the following week 117,000 viewers. They shot up. The next week, episode 49, which is listed as a new high for total viewership. This is the highest viewership that WOW has achieved According to this, period. This is the highest one. It is, uh, you know, and again, I want to express again, I know the the rating point system is, it covers a lot of ground. So the points are still the same. It is still a rating of 0.10. But they did trek up because, like I said, those rating, rating points cover a lot of ground per point. They trekked up by 71,000 viewers from the previous week, and they got up to 428,000 viewers. The main event for that show was Last Call versus the Monsters of Madness. And this is one of those cases that I look at this and like I don't know if this represents viewership because I can't see – how that particular match would have drawn that many people. I mean, quite honestly, it's just there's not a lot of reason behind that. Not that the match, I didn't particularly think it was the best match that they either team had had, but there wasn't a lot of build to this. It wasn't like there was, oh, man, this is I'm waiting for this. So I'm, I'm really curious as to why it got over that hump, why it jumped in there. And, and I keep coming back to this. They're on Saturday and Sunday. Saturdays have turned into wrestling pay-per-view night. Saturdays have turned into just wrestling night in general. And it quite honestly running unopposed to anything that I could see when I went back and did the research. That may be the best thing that they've had, that nothing was there to get in their way. We go to August 27th, and this may go to kind of uh, solidify that theory. They lost 
153,000 viewers on August 27th. With the main event being the one that they claimed everybody was waiting for. The Tonga Twins versus Miami Sweet Heat tag title match, no DQ. Falls count anywhere. Now, I will just go on record to say, I think that this was a bad representation of their show. Especially if it took place during the weekend where wrestling was hot. The thing that was available at that point was AEW Fighter Fest and All In. But if they were trying to reach out to those fans who did not want to order or didn't have the money to order or whatever, might have forgot that was on, whatever the case may be, I don't know if this is the best representation for the WoW product that it could have been. That Falls Count Anywhere match was, it underdelivered. I remember that. It underdelivered. It is one of the hallmarks of what WoW does when they talk up these things as the greatest match ever and everybody's talking about this. Okay. I expect the commentators to say things like that, but if I am watching this and I am stumbling across this and the only reference of women's wrestling that I have known is let's say NXT was women's division or WWE's women's division or AEW's women's division, which isn't terribly great, or Impact's wrestling division. Say what you will about Impact Wrestling and you know its division or its wrestling and some of the things that they do and don't do. They've always, 95% of the time, let their women have quality matches. They've they've had a track record for that over the past decade, almost 20 years now. But did this if that were the case, and this is the thing that they saw as being promoted as comparable to their colleagues in other wrestling spheres and the commentators carrying on like, oh, this is fantastic. Everybody's been wanting to see this. Yeah, like this would make me View it a little differently. I was like, ugh, I don't know. So again, they, they had a, a loss. But you, you have to account that certain elements, Fighter Fest All In, did exist that week. They dropped down to a 0.05. The following week, first week of September, same weekend as WWE Payback and AEW All Out, there's no change in the viewership. Still a 0.05, still 275,000 viewers. If I didn't say it before, that's what it was last week. 275,000 viewers for August 27th, and it repeated September 3rd at 275,000 viewers. The main event for a while was another championship match. Princess Ozzy versus Penelope Pink for the championship. It is another title match that lost viewers. You, you went from the Tonga Twins versus Miami Sweet Heat in a tag title no disqualification match. They lost over 153,000 viewers from the previous week to this one that didn't do anything to gain or subtract. It just It just was. And it's at a 0.05. The following week, 
September 10th was a recap episode. And I don't think there's anything that they can do or say that would have changed it. Other than it could have been packaged differently. And I, I did say something to that effect when I reviewed it. Uh, it. It didn't really feel like a recap show of WoW so much a recap show of WoW last month. There were no new matches there, nothing to you know to report, but they, it lost another 11,000 viewers. Now, in that instance, I can understand because they didn't give anything worth you watching. It dropped down 264,000 viewers at a rating of 0.04. Then we get into the beginning of Season 2. This is... A drop in number. I don't know how they got the number that they got, <laughs> quite honestly, um, because it kind of goes in reverse. So I may have to contact them and ask them about this. But it's listed as a rating of 0.04. I think that, I'm excusing, not 0.04. It's listed as a rating of 0.05 which it probably should be a rating of 0.04 or 0.03. It is shown to have lost 8,000 viewers at a viewership of 256,000 people watching the show. And this is another championship match. It's like every championship match that WoW has had, they have lost people rather than gained it. Except for, I guess, the Princess Ozzy, Penelope Pink. They just maintain the status quo. But the championship match in Wild doesn't seem to do anything to drive any sort of numbers. It's just another thing that's there. But the main event was Penelope Pink versus Chantilla Chella for the championship. And that, and that right there, now that I say it out loud, may be the reason why. If you've watched it for a number of weeks and I announced that Penelope Pink is going up against Chantilla Chella for the championship, I'm pretty sure that most people that have watched this regularly already know who's winning it. We go to the last one that they have on this list. They will compile another list in the upcoming weeks. September 24th, it had a jump up of viewership. It went up to 0.06. It gained 200, well, let me back that up. It gained 64,000 viewers, totaling out at 324,000 viewers. So they've started to tick back up with the main event, and this may be the highest-rated tag team main event that they've had thus far, or championship match that they had thus far, the Tonga Twins versus Las Banditas. Sorry about that if y'all heard that little knock. That was my uh, microphone stand. I just hit it by accident. If you didn't, then don't worry about what I just said. Those are the ratings for the last you know, two months, again, that's compiled by Russell Novicks. And they also included this. And I'm going to read this as is written. Women of Wrestling episodes continue to air on Vice as well on late Tuesday nights at 12 a.m. 
and again at 3 a.m. In August, the midnight airing on Vice averaged 31,000 viewers. And that is not a misprint. That is not me reading it wrong. 31,000 viewers on Vice, the cable network that they're on. In the 3 a.m. slot, averaged at 17,000 viewers. In September, those averages were 26,000 viewers at 12 a.m. and 5,000 at 3 a.m. Well, first off, Wow doesn't advertise Vice. I put a poll on my uh, YouTube channel on the on the uh, community tab, and basically just asked, "Are you aware that uh, Wow has outside projects?" In this particular instance, I was asking about, uh, "Did you know that they had?" Wow Wrestling shows on Pluto, the, the history of women's wrestling, and my road to Wow. For the few that voted, uh, it's twelve. You know, you can feel free to get in and, and put your vote in if you choose to. Now, not that it wasn't overwhelming, for, but just for the ones that had voted, sixty-seven percent said I had no idea this existed. Thirty-three percent said, "Yeah, I knew about both of these." Probably not a good good polling number there but it also with them on vice also lends itself to back up the claim about what i said about impact wrestling and that when you don't have it in a position that a lot of people can see you cannot expect high viewership but they also don't let you know that it's there for you to try to watch it either or to set a dvr for it for that matter that would be you know, that would make too much sense to try and do those type of things. So, you know, they just skip it. So let's get into the show, shall we? The show starts off with a recap of the beast's leg being broken and discovering that Vicky Lynn McCoy did it. Even, you know, my question that I wrote for myself in a note was, was she even part of the company? And so I can, I can answer that question and say, yes, she was part of the company. It still feels like it would be a far cry for them to make that kind of plan. But, I mean, it's not impossible for them to string that together. Um, I, I do get the impression that they are running through potential beast opponents rather fast. Chainsaw and Vicky Lynn McCoy were basically presented as massive powerhouses and people who could bully around 90% of the roster and stuff like that. And, they, and the first match, they threw away um, immediately. Chainsaw versus the Beast. Beast beat her, squashed her, done. And now she's going to go up against Vicky Lynn McCoy, and I really don't expect much different. Other than Vicky Lynn, because she is a more polished wrestler, may carry the match longer. But other than that, I expect her to lose, and I expect it to be a clean win for the Beast, and then she moves on. I, I think they're losing something with that, but that's certainly my opinion. The first match as, after they do the recap, 
speaking of Chainsaw, is Chainsaw with Angelica Dante taking on Jennifer Jen Z Flores. I like the match, quite honestly. I thought they did a, uh, a fine job with this match, being that she, she being Flores, helped make the Beast look good. And I know they have it listed as, you know, Jennifer Flores gets demolished. Because, <laughs> you know, they title all their, their clips. But um, Flores, to me, is another example of somebody who's probably too good at their job for their own good if they wanted to increase or grow in the company. She works outside the company as Jasmine Allure, if I'm not mistaken. But she worked from underneath in this match. She did the whole you know, babyface underdog deal. And she did a fine job. And it allowed for Angelica Dante to actually do something as a manager because normally she wouldn't have intervened at all. Here she did. I was impressed and the story that was told is that in order for Flores to do anything against the beast she has to out quick her she has to out quicker she has to out think her she had, you know she's got to be faster you know she's not going to overpower her she's not going to get her up off, off her feet in a traditional way so she has to do things such as this which I felt was justified and really good I had fun doing the uh, watch along last week in the previous episode. So I decided that I was going to pick another match to do that with. And that match is this one. So I am going to do the same thing that we did last week. I'm going to pull this match up. And if you want to choose to follow along with me, you may. It is Chainsaw with Angelica Dante versus Jennifer Flores on the Wild Superheroes site or website. Not website, their YouTube channel. Sorry. I am going to set the playhead of YouTube at 000. I'm going to pull that up and you're going to wait for the commercials to run. Pause this if necessary if you got to do that. But we're also going to give a five-second count. And when I say play, you're going to hit the play button. So you probably want to either get your keyboard ready and hit the K button because that's what keys it off there. Or just put the your cursor over top of the play button and wait for me to actually say the word. Okay? So here we go. Five, four, three. Two, one, play. So we come up and we see Jennifer, I mean, not Jennifer, Lauren Huntley, or I think that's how you pronounce her last name. And Chainsaw comes out with Angelica Dante, who has a different look. She's all in all black, a little bit, a little bit more uniformed, a little bit more uniformed. Now, there's one thing that comes up on the screen there that I was going to get to, might as well mention now. They advertise The Beast Speaks. The Beast Speaks. They, you know, I've said before that, you know, promos and interviews are important because you can get mileage out of somebody when they 
are a good enough talker that people would actually pay to see them talk. Or your ratings might be driven up by having someone do an interview segment. I was amazed that they advertised the beast is going to speak. I wasn't amazed with how they executed it. And we'll get to that after this. That's not important. So now we see uh, Jennifer Flores coming out. And let's just go ahead and say it. Flores has not been presented as a star. (laughs) She's not been presented as a winner on the show. That's not necessarily a bad thing because I've said on a number of occasions, I will say now, somebody has to do it. So there's no shame in that. But it also does take something away at times when you have a case like this where it's like, okay, I know where this is going to go. But Flores is a you know nice-looking young lady. She seems like she's got a, a fair response here. Everybody's slapping their thunderclappers together, although there are some people out there that don't look like they're interested. It's a good visual. It's a good visual that they, everybody has these thunderclappers, which makes me kind of question, are they just giving them out? So the match has already jump-started. Flores comes in. She's hammers on the beach, pushes her down. We're doing the old David and Goliath thing where she is doing everything possible to try to get her down and stop her. Right there you see Dante hooks the leg, and she's like, no, no, I didn't do anything. No, I promise. Which was good. She actually did a manager's job. Her beast was, well, I shouldn't say her, that's confusing. Chainsaw, her big sister was caught off guard and, and hit, and she couldn't get the quicker opponent. So her manager, her sister, Gave her the opportunity, hooks the leg, and then she turns around and gets caught with the clothesline. And now Chainsaw is in control. It cannot be understated that even though being green and probably not all that you know experienced in the ring, it does not affect adversely Chainsaw as a persona in the ring. Considering that she's supposed to be some kind of lunatic. Now, we're looking at her, if you're still with me. Chainsaw has Flores seated on the mat, and she's doing a variation of a cobra clutch. It's not applied well. You see her hands are just kind of mashed up against the fingers. And then she lets go, and then, like, you see, Flores is holding herself up there like her hand cannot be moved. But, you know, we'll allow some concessions for, for that. That's that, you know, but that's probably just a little bit of inexperience. She should have put, did a different hold to where she wouldn't have to try to hold her hands up there like she is being held down when she clearly wasn't. And there's a clothesline. The big monster puts her down again. Flores is doing a good job here of working underneath chainsaw and that I got to kick out the knees. I got to try this, got to do that. Nothing overdone, but done well. And look at that great facial. Caesar coming, Rook moves out of the way as chainsaw charges in. Great visual by the crowd. They got the little thunderclappers going. Chainsaw sticks her head to the rope. She lifts up the knee. And now here she comes, springs off up. The, the bottom rope, I was going to say the second, but she comes through the second, but she springs out the bottom, gets it with a face plant, and now Chainsaw's like pissed. And there's no real, there's very few wrestling holes by uh, Flores here. 
And <laughs> look at that. That's where the strength comes in. It looks like she was about to fall over. I doubt that was the case, but she just caught her and suspended her for a little while, drops her to a full Nelson, and now she demonstrates the strength. She cannot get free. Front face lock, and she, I like that she moved her body a little bit, making it look like she's at least putting in some effort. Little chainsaw motion. She puts her down with a standing net breaker. Not well executed, but it works. And then she hits her with a big splash. It is a very simple match. And largely there just to give a squash to chainsaw and put her back into monster mode. And now she's just choking Flores out. And the referee's like, no, no, don't, don't, don't do this. And what I don't understand here is what Angelica Dante's doing. She's saying she's also for a moment was telling her no. And then we got Steffi Slays, and we know Steffi Slays isn't going to be able to do anything, but at least she came out. At least she came out for her tag team partner. We've established that Flores and and Dante, not Dante, but Flores and uh and uh, Slays are tag team partners. So even though she couldn't beat the the monster that's Chainsaw, she comes out to try because that's her friend, and now. This unexplained thing that Holiday and Chainsaw that Holiday comes walking out, hurt, and she gives a stare down to her former partner. Now the match is over with. They've moved on. So if you're still watching this, the match is done. This is wild matches are short. We all know they're short, and this is this is no exception to it. Didn't need to be long though. They got all the stuff out that they needed to get out. So Holiday comes out, and if you notice, if you missed it, you can go back and look at it again. She gives like the double throat cut to Chainsaw, implying, you know, that there's going to be issues down the line. Where is this going? What is this about? Who knows? The other question is, where's Siren? What happened to Siren the Voodoo Doll? Is she not coming back? They haven't mentioned her. They haven't even said anything like that. And Holiday broke free. I mean, normally they they give some sort of long, drawn-out explanation on commentary because they don't show everything but nope this siren's not there and apparently holiday has to have some problem with chainsaw who used to be part of their group and now who knows so this is assumably leading to holiday versus chainsaw is Holiday the babyface now? I don't know. Who does know? <sighs> Time will tell. We go backstage in the next segment. And we see scenes with both, not, not at the same time. Scenes with Exile and Ice Cold. And then we go cut to a scene with Jesse Jones and Americana. That, this is... <sighs> seemingly to establish friction. Now, every once in a while, I'll point out that the commentators seem like they're saying things that were not relative to what you just saw on screen. Probably another down point of having marathon tapings and then doing segments either before that or after that and having them inserted into the show. In this case, David McLean mentions this like both teams have some sort of friction behind them. When in this 
instance, Exile and Ice Cold seem like they are perfectly on the same page. I'm like, I, like, I don't know what you're talking about. Where is it that they look like they're having some sort of problem? And even when they had the one last week, it looked like they squashed it. Ice Cold was out there, and she helped. Got them to where they needed to be. Got helped to get them to win. Here, they all seem like they're perfectly fine on the same page. Now, the Jesse Jones Americana thing is kind of a passive-aggressive statement where Americana's doing what Americana does, and she's got a picture of Levi in her locker fully framed while they're getting dressed, and Jesse Jones says something to the fact that, hey, look, uh, you just stand there and look pretty, and I'll do what I do best when. And she walks off in the course. Now, this is the thing that they established. Like, ah, oh, there must be problems in, you know, this, that, and the other. So we go to the next thing. You know, before I, I have to stop for a second. I have to stop. Sorry. One thing I want to do is I got I want to make a personal retraction. I don't do, I still do not uh, take back what I said about the angle, but I want to make a statement about uh, the my friend can't wrestle again. Now, what she said, Americana, what she said is that she can't wrestle. I still don't think that she did the proper thing and expressing any sort of anger about these things, but there at least was some wiggle room in how it was phrased. So I do want to point that out and, and say, it, okay, I will give credit where credit is due. They, you know, and try to keep myself on the level by pointing out the, the fact that, no, she, she just said that you broke her leg and she can't wrestle. So she didn't necessarily commit to ever wrestle again as I envisioned it. I still say the angle was crap, but, you know, it is what it is. The second half of what I was going to ask is, and please, I will accept any comment about this. If you look at Americana and you remove the fact that she's a mom, what other establishing quality does Americana have? Think about that. What other establishing character trait does Americana have beyond the fact that she's a mother that wrestles? Almost everything they had to do and say about her has been built around her. And little Levi, and Levi, and Levi, and Levi. I shouldn't know that kid's name. <laughs> but they beat you in the head with it so many times that you can't help it. And why would she have a framed picture of him in her, in her locker? And they don't acknowledge any of the things that took place before then. It's just like they pick back up like those issues never took place. If I were Jesse Jones and I came back, and first of all, they didn't even acknowledge her leg being broken. Past her return, I should say. But if I'm Jesse Jones and I come back to a partner who, before I left, couldn't focus enough not to look at her child in the audience during a match. I don't know if I would want to come back and work with her. It just seems ridiculous. Because who does that? In what sport do you have you ever seen anybody do that? 
Boxers don't drop their gloves in the middle of a match. Be like, hey, baby, this one's for you. Unless they're just super arrogant and are in absolute control. And I and even then, I mean, I'm 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 trying to give a way out just by saying that because I've never seen that. Same thing with MMA. Same thing with baseball. Same thing with basketball. Same thing with boxing. Same thing with any other sport. Nobody would stop in the middle of what they're doing to be like, hey, there's my kid, or there's my wife, or you know, or my brother, or whoever. Like that. That's just absurd. It goes back to what I said last podcast. They do things that a 10-year-old would do. Like, they're, they're grown women in the ring, but mentally speaking, a lot of them are just 10. I, I cannot imagine in a kayfabe universe why Jesse Jones would even want Americana as a partner. She doesn't provide anything of substance to the team. And beyond the fact that they keep carrying on about Jesse Jones helped Levi do this. Jesse Jones taught him to do that. And in Bartstown, Kentucky, where whiskey and fishing and this, that, because if you're from the South, you got to fish and hunt. and you gotta, All the same cartoon tropes that David McClain has used for anybody that was wearing a pair of Daisy Dukes and, and bandanas and Becky's farmer's daughter and Sally the farmer's daughter and all the other farmer's daughters and country girls that he's ever had is, is all applied here. It never changes. It's been over 30 years. It doesn't change. The body language of Americana Jesse Jones shows problems. And I'm going to assume that's probably largely because of Jesse Jones. She is a, a veteran. And the pro. Uh, Ice Cold attempts to attack Americana Jesse Jones in the ring with Genesis. You know, Americana takes on both. Now, this is at the end. I'm jumping towards the end because the match in and of itself isn't all that uh, isn't all that compelling. Now, and keep in mind, the lead-in for this match is the fact that last time they took on Exile. Jesse Jones had a pin on one of the members, but she put her feet on the rope so she could secure the win. Yes, she was cheating. But Americana, in the middle of that match, came in and she pushed her feet off of the ropes, causing Jesse like, hey, what's happening? So she couldn't get the pin. But then moments later, the same thing is done to Jesse Jones by one of the members of Exile. And they had problems with that. So now we move into this, where they have another match. And this is why Jesse Jones said what she said preceding the match, even though Americana and Jesse Jones pretty much worked this thing collectively. It's not like Jesse just did the lion's share of the work. Exile looks good. They still are not a perfect team, and I've said my piece about them. I think they need to go someplace. They need to work as a unit, as a team, just some some other wrestling promotion. I'm not saying leave Wow altogether, but there's potential there, and they need to keep growing it. If they don't, I feel like they're going to be lost in the shuffle, as they are lost in the shuffle now. They, they said they wanted a tag title shot, and then that just kind of went away. 
which you know not surprising given what wow does and how they pay attention to stuff so we're gonna go forward towards the end of the match <laughs> one one of the things i know is that americana it does not sell very well i mean she <laughs> if you get a chance there's a portion of the match where uh, I want to say Exodus, after Genesis and Exodus face plant Americana. She goes for a pin and Americana kicks out. I believe it's Exodus. She hooks her in her rear chin lock. And the looks on Americana's face is like, ah, that she doesn't look like somebody that's struggling, and nor does that chin lock look like somebody that was really trying to apply this thing. It should probably be cinched up just a little bit. Doesn't need to choke her out, but it, but it needs to look better on camera. Americana just looks like she, <laughs> like an overacting child. I I really can't even express it any better than that. She, she looks like an overacting child trying to like somebody told you, hey. I need you to look like you're out of air. And, and that's what's like, whoa, my God, wow. You know, the eyes are bugging out and she's making all these absurd faces. <sighs> wrestling school. Wrestling school, Americana, a wrestling school. <laughs> Not wow's wrestling school, but a wrestling school would do you a world of good. Pull that woman off of TV. I just, I cannot see any gain off of her. So anyway, she turns, she breaks free, she gets a, gets a jawbreaker in, tags in, Jesse Jones. And Jesse is a master when she starts to do the work on the arm. She knows what her persona is, she knows how to do it, I mean, and it's, it's fantastic. She comes in. She gets a hammerlock on the entering um, Exodus. Kicks her immediately in the gut, hooks her into a hammerlock, and runs that arm right into the turnbuckle. And if you want to see the difference between facial expressions of Americana and uh, Exodus, go and watch that one piece right there where she hooks it, takes the hammerlock, and tries to run into the turnbuckle. The face that Exodus makes looks like somebody who's worried. Like, she's concerned, like, oh, my God, no. <laughs> and it's subtle little things. So, anyway, Jesse Jones hooks it, the arm again, same arm that she just went for. Arm drags, holds on to it, gets her up, does, a, like, a variation of the eat defeat. Doesn't let go while I'm doing, while she's doing all this, mind you maintains control of the arm almost at all times. And even when she's down on the mat, she's holding her wrist, which is holding the arm in place while her foot is under the armpit of her opponent. And again, the facials that she gives. It expresses pain. That is the difference. And it's... Two people, same match, different cell. She expressed pain in there like, oh, my God, you're breaking my arm. And Jesse is great with this. 
holds onto it, arm twists, shoulder blocks, maintains full control of the arm at all times. The facials that that Exodus gives just it it sells the point that this hurts. Now, granted, when she's free of it, it's like her arm doesn't hurt anymore. <laughs> but during the during the whole process of that, she is selling that pain. And she deserves some credit for it. This is why I said I wish they would be able to take Exile someplace else. Every once in a while, and just have a match. Just be able to go and work a tag team match someplace else so they can get the experience. Because I, I, I personally and truly believe that there's potential there. So while this is going on, goes back to what I was talking about initially. <clears throat> Ice Cold attempts to attack Americana. Americana fights back. Genesis does the same thing. She comes, you know, um, comes and attacks. I might have Genesis and Nexus mixed up, by the way, <laughs> but, but just work with me. So they come out there. They attack Americana, fights them off. Meanwhile, in the ring, there's a small package. We didn't really see the small package applied because the camera was on the outside. There's the tight roll up, and then Jesse Jones grabs the tights for the win. She picks up the victory as promised. Just let me do what I'm doing. You stand there and look pretty. She gets it. Referee didn't see it, so there's no, no debate, no argument. He comes out, raises her hands. Jesse's got a big smile on her face. Americana is stone-faced as normal. Didn't have no problem having her hand raised, but you know, I, I guess there's a little bit of a sell of I don't like this victory, I don't like that we that we won unfairly. I, I assume, and for a moment there, she's like, "What was that about?" And and, and Jesse Jones like, "No, she she's got this massive smile, this huge grin on her face. She she's happy that she won. That's all. That's all they needed. The match was fine. It the." The story is a little off and, and really is kind of like walking into a movie already in progress. Like you can get the gist of it, but you didn't see this from the beginning because it just came in mid-angle again. Jesse Jones returns and they immediately have problems. You see what I'm saying? Is It didn't pick up from the problems that they had the, before she left is just we're just starting right back off and the problems exist now. There was no build to this. It's just mid-angle. We're starting up and we're moving forward. So we're just to assume that there's problems that's growing here and we'll see this play out. Next segment is Coach Campanelli and Ariel Sky, who have the most unnatural conversation I've seen towards it, you know, in wrestling at all. I mean, they are just standing at the bottom of the fabled wild stairwell for some reason, staring off towards the camera. So they're breaking the fourth wall. Normally when they do that, they acknowledge that they're talking to camera, but these two are talking to each other. It's, it's not like they're, <laughs> it's not like they're having this conversation to the camera like, hey, guys, this is what we're doing, you know, to the audience. They're having a conversation between the two of them staring into the camera. Now, granted, Ariel Sky does look at her on occasion, 
But they're standing side by side in just this ridiculously unnatural conversation. And Ariel Sky, you know, probably is the only thing that saves this from looking like a complete bust. I'm sure Campanelli is doing what she's told to do. But again, it's not an interview segment for the audience. This is a vignette segment that they're having between the two of them. And again, the most unnatural way possible. Let's stare off at the crowd or at the camera as we talk to each other. This also doubles down on Ariel Sky's stupidity. So she has become the new resident idiot between the group because Randy Rara has vanished. And I'm assuming that she's not coming back because it has been months now. So these two are some super great friends <laughs> that she just... A, they didn't show up for the six-person match that they were going to have, and B, she disappeared and ain't been seen since, and that ain't even brought up by them. Like, they just moved on. Life life is going on. That's it. Screw her. <laughs> we just we carry out. And that screw her thing only gets, as I, I just used the term double down, that screw her thing gets double downed on inadvertently, but it does, after the match. So we go into the next match. This is the third match of the show. And we are bringing up the Brat Pack. Now, I personally would have liked to see the reunion of Gianni and um, Gambino. I did say that previously, but I understand why they didn't. Gianni had moved on, and they had already slaughtered it with the, with the Brat Pack, even though I have not seen... What was assumed to be the third member of the Brat Pack in a while, Robbie Rocket. I haven't haven't seen her participate in a while, but in fairness to that young lady, she does wrestle on the indies quite often, and maybe her uh, schedule worked against this as possible. Um, Gianni continues to grow and and I think get better. Another case of somebody I think that should take some time and, and wrestle elsewhere, if for no other reason than just to improve the package that is Gigi Gianni. I mean, that, that, quite honestly, that could apply to a lot of people in the wild, not just Gianni and not just Exile. There's a lot of people that could use that. I know they don't want to, but there's a lot of people that, that can use that. I understand that one of the prevailing ideals that happens in the wild is that as long as I'm a wild superhero, that's all I need to do. Which isn't shocking. I mean, <laughs> there's been variations of that in, in different places, and I don't expect this to be much different. So we have BK Rhythm at ringside or coming out accompanying her new partner, uh, Gigi Gianni. And Campanelli comes out with Darius Sky. Campanelli is in a singles match, and by and large, her singles match track record has been pretty good. If she's lost in most cases, it's been uh, due to interference on the outside or her partner does something stupid or you know losing a tag match or something like that. 
she has, you know, I, I know one of the better track records. Ariel Sky comes out. She's doing cartwheels and so on and so forth. She she impressed one of the fans there by holding onto their hand and doing the cartwheel while she was holding their hand. Now, that kind of slips in the uh, in the TV because the way the camera kind of pulls away, but you can't see it if you go back and look at. It. Uh, so you know, very nimble, very athletic. You know, and and her. I think she has gymnastic background. So her, her background comes into play here quite, you know, obviously. And she's more or less playing the part of the hype woman for Coach Campanelli. Coach takes the heat majority of this match. Once uh so once it gets rolling. Now they they do a spot I don't really know what they were trying to I don't really know what they were trying to relate with this, where they hook up. They had the, the lockup. Gianni looks like she's about to punch her in the face, but Coach already has her whistle in her mouth, and she blows the whistle and makes Gianni have to cover her ears. I mean, uh, I mean, I, I guess that's could be fun. Like she she pulls this out when she gets shoved away, and it's very clear that she pulls this out while she gets shoved away, and her her back is towards the camera. Well, at least it was clear to me. So um, the two of them do fine. They have what I would consider not rudimentary, but it's a basic match. It's nothing, uh, nothing so high strung or fast paced or you know things like that. Is is not like, and I hate to be comparative to you know NXT girls. We I just saw the end function of of Becky Lynch. Uh, losing the NXT Women's Championship, like even that last sequence, they had the 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 two or three moves that it did that led to her losing it. Spoiler, sorry, <laughs> that led to her losing the championship was very quick and very smooth. They didn't really do sequences like that here, but it is still a match that is reasonable to watch, enjoyable to watch, and it makes sense. So you can get down to the end of the match, and like I said, the majority of the heat here, once Gianni gets control, she has control for a fair amount of time. She does one of the good fake-outs in the match, I thought. This, this was uh, good for her persona. She sends Campanelli to the ropes. Campanelli goes out, stands on the apron. Gianni charges in when uh, Campanelli sticks her shoulder through <clears throat> to try to shoulder her in the abs Gianna just stops and just hits her which I was like that's that's great why haven't more people done that <laughs> like that that was a it was a great move it's simple but it's but efficient I'm just gonna stop right here and just hit you and then she kicked her in the head so <laughs> so this is the, that's one of those points I was like Gianni is getting better and it relates better she you know she exudes her arrogance when she had her in the corner and she's stepping on her back and she's posing on top of her she looks great bk rhythm is also doing good clapping on the outside she almost she's not even a standard manager okay the managers here samantha smart uh sofia lopez lana star those are the managers but rhythm is really out there and she is working that floor clapping telling the audience look at her look how great she you know 
and she's jumping at every move. She's it's, it is such good body language that BK Rhythm has out there. I love it. I I absolutely love that she is staying in tune with everything that's going on out there. So you're back in the match and you see Gianni is doing what she needs to do. And and let's give some credit to Campanelli. Campanelli is also doing her job as the babyface that is trying to fight to get back into the match. She's getting choked out by her own hair. She's getting, getting abused. She's getting posed on top of. But, you know, she's not quitting. And she's not giving up. And, you know, I don't know if it's a case of they just, maybe they're working well together, but this is one of, in my view, is one of the better matches that WoW has done with with people who are largely WoW-based. Uh, the the spin around to the rear waist locker to a uh, backbreaker that Gian did, smooth as silk, just so smooth. Ariel Sky, I like her, but she always seems to have a look of being lost on her face at times, and this is no different. But, but like I said with the uh, vignette that it did down there at the bottom of, of Wild Stairwell, she does get herself involved. She was, in my opinion, the saving grace of the segment that they're talking to the camera, even though they weren't supposed to be talking to the camera. They were supposed to be talking to each other. And she does a good job cheerleading. Gianni has cut the audience off on a number of occasions. Like, they start cheering for her, and then just boom. I don't know. It gets, catches her with a clothesline, shuts that audience down. It was it was just really good that they were able to have this kind of effect, this kind of uh, feedback from the audience. And she is another one that I will say, rhythm, Gianni. You talk about facial expressions that exp- that show what they're trying to do. This is why I get on Americana so much because they have people in that in that roster who do the same thing, but just they are so much better. They are so much better. BK Rhythm looked like she was having a panic attack out there when Gianna started losing ground. It's like she was practically pleading with her visually, covering up her face, just showing the the despair that, oh my gosh, she can't, she's losing and and I can't do anything about it. It it is all so good. Then she gets up on the apron and she's waving at around to try to get the referee and then you know you got struggling outside between Ariel Sky and and uh BK Rhythm the match is still going on on the inside she tries to get it with a backslide and and I don't know if it was audible by Ariel Sky but I'm gonna say good on her she just got the hat and put it on to start walking around with it so it's not it was a nice audible and meanwhile, on the inside, Coach Campanelli sets up um, Gianni with the unprettier. I forget what she calls it, or the buzzer beater, I think. Yeah, that's what I have in my notes. She hits with a buzzer beater, puts her down, one, two, three. Fun match. And I thought all four participants, whether they were in the match or not, did everything they could to sell you on the idea that this was important. 
not just stand out there. That used to be one of the major criticisms that I had with the managers, especially before this season. The Access TV years, some of those managers would just stand there. They would be out at ringside, and they might say something, but they didn't put a lot of body language into it. They didn't really say all that much. And until it called for the spot for them to participate in, they didn't really give you a lot. Here, everyone gave a lot. Ariel Sky, I want to give her, she gave what Ariel Sky could give. And regardless of whether, like I said, sometimes she looks lost, I cannot in good conscience say that she didn't do her job. She did. She did her job. She she was in Campanella's quarter. She looked concerned when she needed to look concerned. BK Rhythm just took it to an entirely different level for me. Gianni did great. She's, you know, in the ring and she is making that audience want to see Campanella succeed by being the heel that she is. And you can see it for yourself when Ariel Sky is revving that crowd up and getting them to try to cheer and Campanella is coming up and she's getting the advantage and, and Gianni cuts it off with a clothesline. Oh, she took the air right out of the room. Good stuff. I really want them to uh, continue to get better. The next thing, video package with the Beast. This is why I said it's not surprising to me how they did what they did. This is a package designed to reinforce and put the Beast over as, as the force of WoW. Gives a history package of her injury and her relinquishing the championship. As I said the previous week, the one thing that they haven't acknowledged in that is when Jungle Girl came out and talked her out of quitting, I guess that part of the story is no longer part of the story. Because they only really referenced it once past that point, and it's been forgotten about. Uh, so that part of the story is ignored, even though it did take place. And the Beast didn't really speak so much as gave a video package. Now, they didn't say, in, in fairness to WoW, they did not say that she was going to speak alive. They might have implied it. You, you could argue that. They may have implied it. But they did not say that she was going to speak live. They just said the beast speaks. In most wrestling companies, when they do that, they're setting up for the in-ring spot where they, you know, those in-ring segment, I should say, where they get in and they start addressing the audience. They address the crowd. They address the issue at hand with a microphone and talking to the audience. That did not happen here. It was, if this segment was four minutes, the Beast spoke for 30 seconds of that. The video package was great. And it might have been the only time that we've ever seen Tessa Blanchard since they relaunched because she was part of the video package being beaten. Which, it, and again, to wow, that's fair game. So I cannot you know, get on them for anything along those lines. <clears throat> they used a different portion of the video to show her being, her, her ankle being 
uh, hurt. But, you know, again, it, it's, it's fine. They included some footage of David McClain overacting when he has the uh, crutches tossed to him. And they showed the Fabulous Four and their rise to power and how that intersects with the B storyline. This was underwhelming in regards to them promoting for the majority of the show that the Beast is going to speak. She didn't have to speak a long time. She didn't have to get up there and do some big promo. They never said that. And I acknowledge that they never said that these things were going to happen. But they just laid into it as if that were going to take place. The beast speaks. Stay tuned. The beast is going to talk. The beast, the beast, the beast. This segment was like three minutes and 50 seconds. At least that's what I had it labeled at on their YouTube channel. So I'm just going to say four minutes. This segment is about four minutes long. And if it were that four minutes, she spoke for maybe 20 seconds of that. This did not come off like some, I need to wait and listen to this person talk. It, it just, it was another one of those underwhelming things that Wild tends to do. They may have, like I said, they may have gotten 20, 30 seconds out of that. Maybe. She was never a big promo person. She does not come off like somebody that you're going to get into the ring, put a microphone in their hand, and the world's going to stop so they can listen to what's going on. But it was sold that way. I would rather have somebody who actually can talk. You go to other wrestling promotions like... The Edge promo with Ricky Starks, or the, Ed, the the vignette that they had, well, I shouldn't say vignette, the interview segment that they have. I don't know why I keep calling them vignettes. But the interview segment that they had with um, Edge, Adam Copeland, Ricky Starks, Christian Cage, and others, probably got like a million views based on the fact that Adam Copeland blistered Ricky Starks in that, in that promo. Because he can talk. People tuned in to AEW when Punk was there, regardless of the controversy. Let's not talk about that, but regardless of the controversy, they could legitimately sell the idea of you need to tune in to hear what he has to say. You can't do this here. You cannot get people to tune in to the show just on the basis of this woman is going to say something. Because she's not a good talk. She's, she's not a good promo she can get the point across of i want revenge and i'm gonna hurt you but she's not a good promo she's not weaving in these intricate details you know like a lyricist she's just she's just not that person and nobody back there writes that good for them to do this and if i am guessing this is all probably written for her especially if there's taking a place behind a fence for whatever reason, I have no idea why they had this take place behind a fence in the 
underbelly of a building some somewhere. But that's what they wanted. That's what they wanted to portray. And, you know, that's their visual aesthetic. Looks fine. But it didn't deliver as far as the beast speaks. This is underwhelming. It's not bad on her, but it's underwhelming. This also showed within the package the footage that apparently the beast saw when she got into the truck. A relatively clear shot, surprise, surprise, of the car with Vicky Lynn McCoy and Lana Starr sitting there fluffing their hair. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily proof positive that somebody attacked you. Because I don't know if that was actually the same car or not. For all we know. It could have been Sofia Lopez just setting her up like this idiot will buy anything. <laughs> Which actually, as I say that out loud, would be hilarious if that, <laughs> if that was the case. <laughs> that she's like, oh, I'm just going to get some random footage of them sitting in the car having a conversation and give it to the beast. Because this idiot will buy anything and she'll attack anybody and I can bend her to my will because she's a moron. That would be just outrageously hilarious to me. But no, it was the same. It was the same car, uh, at least the same color and make and model. I don't know. We didn't see a license plate, so I can't say if that was the one. So that was the proof that that the beast needed to see that it was Vicky Lynn McCoy. Not that they had proof of her taking the mask off or the pipe in the hand or anything like that. Just you know, hey, I, I saw y'all in the car having a conversation. So you must have did it. The Beast didn't speak so much as as they advertised that this was just a video package that included her speaking in it. So I don't know. I really don't know. It it, it looked fine. I can never get on them for how they how they uh, create the packages, but it it didn't. It was underwhelming. Speaking of underwhelming, <laughs> we're getting ready to go into the main event. But before the main event, they have another segment that shows Lana Starr, Vicky Lynn McCoy, Penelope Pink all being escorted to their dressing room by what Wild Clan was an armed guard. I didn't see no gun. I didn't even see a, a, a cop utility belt on him. But he was an armed guard, uh, allegedly. The note that I put down here is like, where was this stipulation before where was the stipulation of they can't come to ringside on the times that Lana Star and Vicky Lynn McCoy didn't come to ringside <laughs> like why all of a sudden do they need to get barred from ringside today they didn't come to ringside when they lost the belt they didn't come to ringside when they got a rematch because for the belts so why now why is this important now why do they have to be locked up now when when clearly it wasn't important enough for them to even bother with in the first place but in, but we we we'll leave concession for that that they uh had to be put in, into a, a a room so they couldn't come out. Now keep in mind, like I said, they they Vicky Lynn McCoy, Penelope Pink, Penelope Pink has never interfered in any of their matches. But Lana Star and Vicky Lynn McCoy, according to the commentary, have 
left Miami's sweet heat alone on a number of weeks. The first one where they lost the titles, it was said on the commentary that, hey, they felt so confident that they were going to win that they stayed home. Makes no sense to me, but that's what they said. You're the heel manager. You're supposed to be there. If they wanted to give some sort of explanation, this is when they should have done it. It should have been a case of I'm barring them from ringside so that they get a fair shot. Nope. We're like three matches into the Tonga Twins being the champions. What? Win the championship, rematch one, and this. So why is this one any more special? Who knows? They just did it. I'm also not entirely sure why this is different than the last time they had a quote-unquote no-holds-barred match. That match the last time was promoted and labeled as a false Count Anywhere match. And so wild and so crazy was that false Count Anywhere match that the fall took place right inside the ring like it does every other week. This was not better at all. And I like all members of this match. I like both teams. I do. But this was not better. David McClain oversells a lot of things. And this was no exception to that. It was every reason that I said that he probably needs to just be off of commentary. It, this is not something that he should be doing there because he sells it to such a high degree that only people who are willing to overlook it will will say that, well, this is a fantastic match. This is the most clean most organized, no host bar DQ match I have ever seen in my life. I mean, it really is. This is this is the cleanest, most organized no host bar match I have ever seen in wrestling. It's well, I said that like Vince Russo in wrestling. Added in the extra syllable there for some reason I don't know why, but this is the cleanest, most controlled no DQ match I've seen in wrestling. Period. And it's not like they can't have a good match. They've had good matches. But this was oversold and underwhelming. I don't expect the Wild Faithful to agree with me on that. I don't. Because the Wild Faithful looks at this, and I've looked at the comments like, this is great, this is the best, this is, you know. They always look at a... the positive, and I guess that's a fair thing that, that they have. But let's just scroll down because I don't even think this is worth going into the entirety of the match. Let's go to where you know my notes pick up them in, in motion, in progress. So <clears throat> there's a point in the match where we have the Carlson twins. And I'll refer to them as that because, you know, the, the, we got two sets of twins here. It's get, it can get a little confusing at times. 
And keep in mind, like I said, this is not the first no DQ match that they had. So it's not like this built to this ultimate showdown. This is a no DQ match that's probably taking place somewhere in the line of about a month after the last one. Or a little over a month after the last one. Uh, the Tonga Twins come in and they, you know, they start off pretty nice. They're on the floor. They're having, you know, what is considered, I would say, a relative brawl. In this, in this portion of it, I thought they did fine. They hurled the Tonga the Carlson Twins hurled the Tonga Twins into the steel post and into the barricades, and then they go to the underneath the ring and they pull out two conveniently placed steel chairs. And they actually used them. I I was under the impression that Wild had a mandate of not using steel chairs at all. <laughs> but good on them that they actually used the steel chairs. They used those strategically placed steel chairs and then they walk off. And what do they come back with? Two strategically placed trash cans. Some that they probably just bought from the Home Depot. They are, they are completely empty and clean, so we know they ain't got no use out of these things as actual trash cans. They're just weapons. Now, where I have the issue with this, I have shot, commentated on, and watched a number of no DQ matches and. There's two ways that I've seen this take place. One, which is the older version, which is, you know, honestly the one that I gravitate towards. When they announce the no DQ match, the wrestlers find things incidentally that are around ringside that they use, not things that are just placed there for television's sake. Concession stand brawl. Jerry Lawler, Jeff Jarrett, Moondogs. Look at that. They just fought. And they fought. And they fought until they got towards this concession stand because this match was so off the chain that they, you know, and I don't even honestly think it was Noah's bar. They just wouldn't stop. Until they got towards this place and then, you know, they're grabbing fans' chairs. They're, you know, they're throwing mustard and bottles of rush, tossing them inside of the, the snack stand, throwing them up against walls. That is incidental. They find the weapons as they go and it feels more organic. You can make a case for that with ECW. Tommy Dreaming Raven. They fought all around the ring, but the fans brought weapons there, so they would just grab stuff from the fans at ringside. You got a steel chair? Let me have that. You got a, a, a stop sign? Okay. They would just do that. You can go to WCW and, and TNA and other wrestling promotions from this point out. When they announced that as a no disqualification, or specifically no-hose barred, hardcore, however they want to phrase it, they already have the weapons there. Sure, they may have a trash can, but they have a trash can full of things because it's like, all right, we're, we're setting the stage for them to be able to have these weapons. 
Not that they went back and say, oh, they got some garbage cans. And, you know, they come out with two clean garbage cans that just happen to be sitting right next to each other off camera, side by side, unused. Uh, if you like this, then you like this. I can't say that you're wrong for liking it. I can't even say that, you know, it's, it's wrong for them to do what they're doing. It just feels so stagey. And nothing chaotic about this at all. It feels just like any other match just happens to be that there's less rules to it. Or any other match in WoW, it just, you know, less rules to that. The two chairs that happen to be side by side on the hard camera camera angle, the two trash cans that happen to be off, the two I mean the two tables that they get later on. It's just everything just happened to be in twos. A pair of these things for somebody to use. It, it was so contrived and, and staged. So they, and it and it didn't get better. Let me just say that before I even continue. It did not get better. So they get into the ring. They being the Target Twins and the Miami Sweet Heat is already there. They grab the steel lids or aluminum lids to the trash cans and they hit the Tonka Twins over the head with it. Surprisingly, they did a uh, a hard head Samoan slash Tongan angle, which I really thought there was uh, like, I thought we outgrew that. For those who are too young to know, that was a trope in wrestling for a lot of years. And it was... Tropes like that were usually applied to wrestlers of ethnic descent. It was always something that they did that they just inherently could do because of who they were. If you were Samoan or you were Tongan, your head was as hard as a brick. If you were a black person, your head was, your cranium was two inches thicker than a normal human being. If you were from the Far East, you had to know martial arts because everybody knows martial arts. If you were Native American, you had to have some sort of chop that would take the skin off of your chest because, hey, everybody knows how to chop. That's Native American. Things like that. I thought we had outgrown that, but they inserted this little spot in there that was a, a call back to those type of things when they hit both of them in the head with the with the uh, trash can lids and they just shrugged it off like, what are you doing? And you know, ugh, didn't hurt him at all, right? Despite the fact that we've seen the Tongan twins get punched in the head a number of times, and, you know, that, that didn't seem to shrug that off at all. So they continue on with the match, and they have these, uh, you know, little spots that are super-duper clean. And they stick the trash can lids on both of the Carlsons. They're in the corners, and now that the Tongans are setting up, and they do a double hip attack to Lindsay and Laurie on both ends. Of course, the commentators are loving this because it's the most chaotic thing they've ever seen. Right? You know, there there is no match that even remotely shows the the amount of chaos and, and carnage that this match has. Even though that mat is like super duper clean, like there, there's no debris, <laughs> there's no blood, there's barely even a sweat stain 
on this purple mat. So they continue on. The Tonga Twins doing what they're doing. Smash their heads together and all that stuff like that. We're going to fast. or I'm not fast for a time, but we're going to go toward the ends of that because this continues on for a couple of more minutes. The kids at ringside are loving it, by the way. This is, you know, this is just great for them. So at some point, the Carlson twins managed to get the advantage. And they literally throw the Tonga twins one after the other into the barricade. Almost one on top of the other. Then they go underneath the ring and they pull out two tables. Again, strategically placed, ready for their use <laughs> for, for both of these uh, teams to have. And the Tongans stayed down long enough for them to have these things set up. They go, they get table one, and then they go and they get table two, and they set them up at ringside, side by side. Seemed like a fairly awkward place to put them, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go with it. Then they go back and they go after the Tonga Twins. And the brawl is back on. They get into the ring. And they have a fight in the ring for a little while. And wouldn't you know where that fight would lead itself towards? It leads itself towards the two tables that are sitting on the outside at the uh, camera side, hard cam portion of the ring. They all go out on the apron, which seems like an absurd thing to do. I said this about the Tonga Twins when they got into the match with Last Call, that this looks like they sat in the back for a moment and constructed this portion with like okay we're gonna go out here and i'm gonna do this you're gonna hit me and then we're gonna hit you and then you're gonna run to the ropes we know that there's spots in wrestling but you are it is the job of the wrestler to try to make it seem as organic as possible not like we are showing complete and obvious cooperation to get to the spot that we planned two hours ago or whenever they did it but that's what this came off like. So they go out, they fought to the apron, and like I said, surprise, surprise, they managed to find themselves directly in front of and above the two chairs, and they hit each other, and oh my God, I'm about to fall, and whoa, I'm about to fall too. It, it, it looks so ridiculous, and the oversell of the Tonga Twins that they like, oh my God, I'm, I'm falling. I, I got to hold on to the ropes. It, it just, it, it just came off so bad. So they do this, and we all know this head. This came towards a double headbutt because you know they're tongans, and you have to do that. You have to have a headbutt because nothing can resist the the power of a tongan's hard head. They double headbutt the. Miami Sweet Heat, which then sets them up for a double clothesline. I mean, not clothesline, a double choke slam. Sorry. They both grab them. Lindsay and Laurie are both in choke slam position. And from off the apron, 
the two Carlson twins jump up and <laughs> throw themselves through the tables. Because let's be honest, the Tongan twins did not do that. They just had their hands on their throat, and Miami Sweet Heat did it for them. They might have guided them down, but that was pretty much it. So we've got a table spot that takes place in the wild. They both go through the table flat as a pancake. And the only good thing that I can say about that is that it was the end of the match. They took a table spot, and they did not just immediately get up and start fighting back. They took the table bump, and that was it. They were done. So Lindsay, I believe, or who I call Deep Black because I can never get their names correct, Deep Black gets tossed into the ring, and then one, two, three, they're done. It, they, the finish was kind of flat, quite honestly. It was a good finish, and they should have uh, they should have won off of the tables, but it probably would have been better if the fans on the other three sides of the show could have seen them go through the tables. This was positioned wrong. It was clearly staged. It did not have a high climax for the end, and I'm glad that this is over. Please move on from this. They have gotten this done. They show a picture-in-picture with uh, the Fabulous Four in the backstage complaining and crying and whining. When we've never really seen them complain and cry and whine over the last couple of uh, matches that they had. I mean, they they certainly felt like they was capable of doing it on their own before. I don't know why today was any different. But they did. They complained. They, I can't believe this. They held us back and like yada, yada, yada. Crying about stuff that they imposed on themselves to begin with like a month ago. So we have the Fabulous Four championship list. They did not regain it. They have lost the world title. They did not regain the tag titles. And they were forced, forced, I say, to stay in the back and take the beating or, or watch the beating of their teammates in this most organized no DQ match that has been in wrestling. Wow should not oversell these matches. It hasn't happened to them yet because they haven't brought in the standard wrestling fan. But I cannot express enough if they keep doing that and they keep getting to these Matches that they claim are so off the chain and great and they under-deliver on the match. It is not going to bode well for that company. They cannot continue to say or sell something that they can't deliver. And they've done this on a number of occasions now, dating back to the match that I still say is the most terrible match that they've produced episode 25 because they offered something that they knew full well they couldn't give they gave false advertising they changed the rules for how Penelope got into it they talk about these things like oh this is going to be the most dynamic match ever ever done and yes 
as a commentator, you're supposed to talk up your match. But don't talk it up at the expense to where it ruins your credibility. So that was that. They gave you the best no-DQ match that WoW could deliver, I assume. I put a note here that WoW didn't advertise the new name of the person that was supposed to show up on the show or talk about like I thought they did. Maybe maybe I'm thinking of the wrong way because they've done three people in a row. And certainly they don't need to have somebody else come out there and just walk out and lose on a debut. So it might have been best if I'm remembering this wrong. Also, I, I put the note to reiterate, I th- Exile as a team is still green, but I like them. I like Exile. And the potential for them to do better is there. They just haven't done it. That's all of WoW for the time being. And I just wanted to make one other note before getting out in that this is both impact-related notes, so if you're not concerned with that, then I understand. But recently they have announced that they are going to go back to the TNA Wrestling name. Now, I've watched TNA Wrestling, formerly TNA Wrestling, then formerly Global Force, then Impact Wrestling, now to be formerly Impact Wrestling, back to TNA. It's things like that that really kind of hurt them in, in the eyes of fans. But that being said, I have long stood on the premise that they've had the best women's division in wrestling. And I think that they outshine a lot of women's divisions, honestly, wow included. In the quality of match, in the quality of talent, in what they do for angles, and they're creative. They have outshined a lot of people. The name change isn't going to damage the company overall, but I do question why they're doing it beyond the fact that they say that a lot of fans still call them that. And they do. I've heard it. I've seen it on TV. You know, they just chant TNA, and that's fine. But I was under the impression that they also changed that name, what, 10 years ago? Because TNA is a hard thing to sell to advertisers. Impact Wrestling is one thing, but to sell the name TNA, you you have to walk in there immediately ready to explain that it doesn't stand for tits and ass. You have to explain on TNA. Now, let me tell you, there's no total nonstop action. Like that wasn't that the entire reason that they dropped the name to begin with. I am not going to sit and say that it was a mistake. I am not going to sit and say that they're going to get destroyed because of it, because people have been saying that about that company for 20 years almost. They're, they're right. They're right on 20 years. And there's been a lot of people and I've read it and I've seen it on, uh, you know, forums and this, that and the other. People were saying, oh, this, nobody's going to stay. Keep this going. That's going to go. They have stayed the test. Keep in mind, that I think they came out like a what, two years after, no, a year after WOW. TNA, NWA TNA at the time, debuted a year after WOW. 
they're still here and they never stopped they had dark periods they've gone off tv they've changed networks they've done this and that but they've they've never gone away fully and i don't perceive them going away now just because of the name so for those of you out there it's like our tna changing their name back to tna is a mistake i doubt it i may not like i don't personally agree with it i will say that i don't personally agree with it because Having seen ad executives, having seen people who are on TV that do sponsorships, and there's a significant chunk of them that do not watch wrestling. It'd be different if they knew that the people were watching it, but they if you don't watch wrestling and you don't read the, the, the dirt sheets or listen to podcasts, this, that, and the other, the first time you hear the name TNA, it is going to come off wrong to you. <laughs> it's going to come off wrong to you. I know TNA fans don't accept that, but it's going to come off wrong to the people who do not watch that product. And last, oh, and and the, by the way, the name change will begin officially at the Hard to Kill pay per view January thirteenth, two thousand twenty-four. And lastly, and I thought this would be a good note to end on. Trace Brooks went into the TNA Hall of Fame recently. Congratulations to her. Although. I did question, should she be in the Hall of Fame? She really didn't have a stellar wrestling career in Impact Wrestling, if we're going to be completely honest. She just didn't. She was a nice personality, and she did a lot of things there, but I do not recall her having any sort of championship or any sort of match that people looked at like, you have to see this Tracy Brooks match. And that's not a slight on Tracy Brooks, but she just some people just do not have that Hall of Fame credit. Now, if they're going to base her being in the Hall of Fame on the premise of her having aided in the overall growth of the knockouts division, then yes, she deserves it for that. But individually speaking, I, I, I really have a hard time seeing it. I really do. I like Tracy Brooks, but I really, really, really think that is difficult to say that she has had a Hall of Fame career build a belt. And the last thing, I am going to put homework assignment uh, at number three. Uh, is this the third one I've done? If you have been watching the match that I just described, the no holds barred, or no DQ championship match, let me call it correctly. If you watch that, but you have no concept of what I mean when I say the wrestlers should get these things incidentally as they go through, and I'm not going to say this to toot my own horn or anything because I had nothing to do with it. I was the videographer that day, but I did not uh, produce the match. I wasn't backstage saying, okay, girls, you're going to do this, 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 and this. So I'm not taking any personal credit. It just happens to be that that match exists on my page. It is a street fight match with two tag teams. So it's in the same wheelhouse. Uh, it also has two members who would become wild superheroes Nina Monet who you know is Siren the Voodoo Doll and also 
Jesse Bell Smothers at the time, who we now know as Jesse Jones. Now we're gonna forget the how can I say, the southern iconography that is being used in the match because I hated that. I know what they were trying to do with the angle because there's the baby faces there are wearing the Confederate flag with a uh, spray paint over top of it. Like, no. Like, like, like the little Ghostbusters thing, you know what I mean? They're like the band symbol. That's what the baby faces were wearing. So that was the point of it. We don't support this, you know, from the baby faces. And in most places, that would have been fine. In this audience, it was not good because that audience didn't, didn't want it. That audience looked at it the opposite way. They they were cheering for the heel for somewhat obvious reasons, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> just just consider that this this match took place in the rural South, so you can make of that what you will as to why they booed Nina Monet and they were cheering Jesse Bell, who was wearing uh, con, you know Confederate iconography, but. That aside, the point being is that the match as a street fight, light years ahead of this. Light years. This, this took like years ago, but it was light years ahead of this match. Didn't come off like it was pre-planned, even though it was. <laughs> Didn't come off like they had uh, weapons available to them, even though they did. All of it came off more organic than what we just saw because they tried to make it look like this was a fight of four people who disliked each other and I would defy anybody to look at that and tell me that oh no it looked just as bad no there are times where being too clean on TV or in video works against you that was one of those times it was too clean it was too clean and it felt too clean and it felt too organized and too pristine. If you're gonna have a street fight, if you're gonna have a no disqualification match, you're gonna have a hardcore match, however you choose to label it, it needs to have some level of grit behind it. And I'm going to put this match as the homework. So if you wanna see or you wanna see another version of it, you can look at that. And I will finish it up with that note, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in again. And I will also leave at saying, if you are a person who does not care for comedy wrestling, and I've been talking to quite a bit of you, then I have the shirt for you. You can go to our channel and you can hit the store link and you can click the no silly blank. I don't actually have it spelled out on the shirt. Just wrestling. No silly stuff. We'll just call it that. No silly stuff just wrestling so if you are a proponent of your wrestling being serious if you like to take the comedy you know vastly out of there or the, or the nonsense that some wrestling promotions may do or apply this is your shirt wear that to the shows make your make your your opinion about it known no silly stuff just wrestling and with that I will say in closing that this is Mr. Green saying that this is Mr. Green saying so long and we will see you 
on the next go round. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to the WPN's Rights and Wrongs of Pro Wrestling. If you have questions or comments, please contact us via our Facebook or our YouTube channel at the Women's Pro Wrestling Network. If you're new to the WPN, feel free to subscribe to our channel and like our page. We appreciate your support. Thank you again for listening.